Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit will be with us now as we uh, open your word. Teach us from this story. This is, a, this is a strange story. Help us today to get the main points. In Jesus' name, amen. It's confusing, isn't it? When things don't happen the way you're used to having them happen. Invariably, you take a group of people, you put them in a single setting, and they get together in that context week after week after week after week, and and what develops? Well, you develop norms. There's nothing wrong with developing norms, because if we didn't, everything would be chaotic. Norms are ways that we learn to understand each other. Norms are, are ways that I can act in one way, and you know what I mean by that. Even language itself is a reality that develops over time, and we develop normal ways in which to speak. Now, it's not the only way to speak. I think we demonstrated that pretty clearly already today. We had German, we had French. But here's the thing, don't change the way you speak in front of a grammar Nazi, right? Because don't say it out of order because you're violating the norms. You're violating how we're supposed to talk. But the truth is, it's just a norm. It's a tradition. It developed. That's what we agreed to agree on. Well, it happens with churches, too. We gather in this room, and it's interesting in this church because we gather in this room three times. And most of you aren't like me. You don't go to all three. But what I will tell you is there are three unique cultures that happen in this room every Sabbath. And that's not wrong, but it is significant. Because as soon as we establish unique culture, we establish unique norms, we begin to establish unique traditions, then we begin to judge each other by our traditions. And that's where the trouble comes. It must have been exhausting and terribly disappointing sometimes to be Jesus. You ever thought about it that way? as he was here trying to work with us. There's a story that's found in Mark chapter 7 where where we see an illustration of this. Mark chapter 7, verse 1, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Now, on the face of it, if you were to ask me, the Pharisees kind of sound like your mom, don't they? Wash your hands before you eat. Don't put that cup away dirty. Wash it out. There's nothing wrong with establishing norms for hand washing and cup washing and washing out the pots and pans, right? In fact, I think we'd put that in the category of a really good idea. But here's what happens once we establish norms. We start to turn them into more. And what has happened here is they have turned this washing and this notion of defilement into a very specific procedure and process. And if you don't do it right... You will defile yourself. And so the the Pharisees see the disciples eating without having gone through the ritual washing. And it says, and they took fault. 
They were offended by it. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, that is a tricky saying. Because here's what happens. We establish norms. We establish traditions. And then we teach the gospel from the context of our norms and traditions. And it is nearly impossible for us to teach it without also teaching the norms and the conditions and the, and the traditions we establish. And sometimes we reach the point where we teach the traditions as though they were the doctrines of God. Now this whole discussion goes on for a while. We're not going to dwell on this. This isn't actually the story we want to look at. But I do want to close it out. Verse 20, and Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that defiles him. So Jesus is changing the game here. It's not that they didn't wash their hands right. If they are defiled, it's because of what comes out of them, not because of what goes into them. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. The irony is you can keep the traditions perfectly and still have these things coming out of you. All these things come from within and defile a man. So we have this initial story here in Mark 7. And in this story, the Pharisees are the ones persecuting the disciples because the disciples don't fit the tradition. Okay, we're comfortable with this story. This is fine. But now we're going to take another step. Beginning in verse 24. From there, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Now, why exactly did Jesus go there? Well, we can speculate a little bit from the story and the way it's said. Is it sounds as though Jesus was intentionally looking to get away from Galilee, get away from Judea, get away from all of the people who kind of had a clue about him that were all excited about him, go to a region where he was a little more unknown, spend some time with the disciples and teach them some lessons. Well, I think as it turns out, not all the lessons that Jesus was going to teach them were contained within words he was going to say. In fact, it seems that maybe there was one lesson that was going to be a show and tell. But they don't expect that, so they go to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is the region of the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were a a seagoing people at that time. The whole Mediterranean Sea was their backyard. They sailed everywhere. Uh, They transported goods. They were merchants. They were very rich. They were also very pagan. These are the people that later on would found the city of Carthage, and that would be the, the antithesis to Rome in the early days of Rome's development. These were a remarkable people, but these were a very pagan people as well. And as such, appropriate Jews kept a safe distance from them. They were troubled. We go on here, verse 25, 
It says Jesus could not be hidden. Verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So somehow this woman has heard of Jesus. There were some Jews in that area. It could have been from them. I don't know exactly how. But she's heard about Jesus, and she has heard that he is there. She has a daughter that's being tormented by demons, and she believes that this Jesus can deliver her daughter. So she goes to him and pleads with him that her daughter could be delivered. Now, we're reading this in the book of Mark. If we were reading this in Matthew, there's a couple details Matthew adds. And maybe it's because Matthew was there. And Mark heard about this story later. But Matthew adds a couple details. The first detail Matthew adds is that Jesus at first ignored the woman. Okay, that seems a little strange to us. But, but according to Matthew, Jesus at first ignored her. And when he did, he added this phrase. After she persisted, he said, I am sent only to the lost tribes of Israel. And when the disciples heard this, they immediately went somewhere in their minds. And where they went in their minds is Jews are good, Gentiles are bad. And Jesus has just reaffirmed this. He came for us, not for them. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Make this woman go away. In their hearts, they don't want Jesus to help this woman. What they want is her to go away so they can get back to the important work they have to do. Now, seemingly, Jesus continues along this line. And we come back to the book of Mark here, verse 27. But Jesus said to the woman after she persisted, Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, we feel a little offended by that, right? We're not nearly offended enough by that. And the reason I say that is because we kind of like dogs in this day, right? I mean, they're our buddies. They live with us. We let them in our house. They sleep on our bed. All that kind of stuff. Well, that wasn't the case then. And to be called a dog was really to be called the lowest thing. Now, let's check our spiritual pride at this point. If you were approaching this teacher of the Jews, and you know that the Jews don't think much of you, and this great teacher who you want to have help you says to you, it's not right for me to take the children's bread, talking about the disciples, and throw it to the dogs. Now, I'll tell you where my spiritual pride would be at that moment. I think I'd be like, yep, I'm good. You guys are just too much. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. But the woman was not like that. And I think Jesus knew this. Because something important is happening here. But in order for it to happen, in order for this to work, this woman must have remarkable faith. She must connect her desperate need with powerful faith. Do you ever do that? It goes on, verse 28. And she answered and said to Jesus, Yes, Lord. 
Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Let me tell you what this woman understands that I think we don't. Just a crumb from the blessing that Jesus brings, just a crumb is enough to transform your whole life. Just a crumb. Can we come to a faith where we will accept anything from Jesus without demanding terms? Okay, Lord, I'm going to serve you. But here's what it's going to take from you. I'm going to need a place where I can worship where I'm comfortable. I'm going to need to be surrounded by like-minded people. I'm going to need to do the things I like. The leaders are going to need to say the things I want to hear. We've got to sing the way I want to sing. Do we put terms on it? Do we have a humble faith? Or do we have spiritual arrogance? We fall into it. It's simple enough. I mean, we're a group of like-minded believers. We gather together. We develop forms. We develop culture. We develop expectations. And then people start coming in who don't meet our expectations. Of course they should be told to leave. You see, as much as it makes us uncomfortable, the truth is, the way we live our lives, when we read this story, we envision ourselves as the children at the table, not the dogs underneath. We envision ourselves as the favored of God, the ones that God likes best. And all those people out there who aren't smart enough to be in here he obviously doesn't like as well. Now, they could come and be in here, but they better figure out what being here means, right? Or maybe they could sit under the table and we'll drop a crumb. Okay, so what I want to do right now is disabuse you of the notion that you're at the table. Okay? When you think about this story, where do you see yourself? Now, that first story I told you, that one's easy enough. We're the disciples, and those bad Pharisees are oppressing us. Ah, we love that one. Okay, that's good. Now, this story. Okay, we're not Jesus, so we'll rule that one out. There's only two other things we can be. Are we the disciples? Are we the ones that come to Jesus and say, make her go away? Ah, we don't want to be that. But can your spiritual pride handle being a little dog under the table? Because that's what we are. Why do I say that? All right, well, there may be a few exceptions here. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not trying to single you out, but how many of you are Jewish? 
Okay, there may be a few. Good job. Good for you. There may be a few that got a little bit in there. Okay, if you can't raise your hand on that, guess what you are? Gentile. All right, now I want to take you to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read to you about the thing that totally blew Paul's mind. All right, listen to this. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... And now at this point, Paul has one of those thoughts, so he does a big parenthetical. He does this a lot. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation God made known to me the mystery. Wow, this is a mystery. This blew Paul's mind. He had no idea. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Mind blown, what is the mystery? What is this thing, Paul, that you could not even imagine? You ready? Here it is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The thing that blew Paul's mind was that I can be saved too that you can be saved too. He's like, I thought this was for us. But the mystery of the gospel is that no, there's enough grace for Syrophoenician women. There's enough grace for German speakers. There's enough grace for people who speak French. So my own family, um, I'm, I'm, we, we did 23andMe recently and got all that data and stuff. Uh, my son Gable got it for us. So, so I'm like, boom, Northwest Europe, that's all you got. Just blah, England and Germany, that's me. Um, you know what my relatives were doing when Jesus was talking to the Syrophoenician woman? They were running wild in the woods in northern Europe. Pagans cutting down trees, putting them up on solstice. We still kind of do that. Kind of hung on to that one. That's my background. Those are my people. Yet isn't it funny? Because Christianity came to Europe. And because so many people in Europe believed it that we came to believe we were the special people of God. And we started to build the barriers against everybody else. That the norms we established were righteousness. We're going to talk about norms. Um, So when I came here, the, the first couple times I preached here, so I came, I wore my suit, I made the mistake of preaching with my jacket unbuttoned. I got several notices on that. You really should button your jacket. I, I thought if I took it off, would I hear an audible gasp? I don't know. I don't know. We had a lot of conformity today because it was baby dedication, Pastor Juan and and uh, 
Justin, why couldn't I think of your name? Come on, man, help me when I do that. <laughs> Pastor Justin, they both have jackets on today, huh? Yeah, all right, good job, guys. Yeah. These young guys, what are you going to do? It's a norm. Now, is there a principle uh, based on respect for God that we would look our best? Yes. There's also a thing called pretension. There's also a thing called putting on a show. There's also a thing called if everybody has to look nice to be here, what's going to happen to the people who can't afford to look nice? Now, I'm not saying we stop wearing our jackets and our ties. I like it. I look pretty good today. At least you picked this out for me. I got some really good ties now. If I wasn't for church, I'd have nowhere to wear them. But is this really what it's about? So my purpose today is to deliver a crushing blow to your spiritual pride by reminding you we're not the people at the table. We're the dogs underneath. The gospel came to us as a shock to Paul, blew Peter's mind. He wasn't even going to baptize us if the Holy Spirit hadn't poured out on us before he baptized. We've been included. Jesus intentionally leaned over and threw some bread to the dogs. That's us. So how in the world can we rebuild the bigoted structure that Jesus tore down? There's a little thing we do here. We've done it quite a few times. We, remember, we turn our heads and we look around. Turn our heads and we, I want to put a little twist on it today. So you're going to have to look around in a second here. But here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I want you to turn your head and look around at all the people that you're better than. Do it. Go ahead. Turn your head. Turn your head. Look at them. Oh, I'm better than you. Ooh. You don't even speak English very well. God probably doesn't even understand your prayer. That's not as fun, is it? No, we're all under the table together. This is, this is our place. So I want you to do it the right way, okay? No, you, you all wouldn't even do it. You wouldn't even turn your heads. So go ahead, turn your heads, look around, look around. Go on, you're not doing it. Look around you. Look at all the people in this place. All right? Let's say it together. Are you ready? These are the people I love. And we're all here together under the table. The whole purpose here is that we would lay down our spiritual pride and realize who we are and be thankful that the Lord Jesus has extended his grace to us. Ellen White writes about this story. It's a really good chapter. Reading from page 402 of Desire of Ages. By the way, this is my grandfather's Desire of Ages. I love having it. I open it up and he's got all these things highlighted and so forth. It gives me that that look into his mind. What spoke to his heart? Well, here's a part, page 402. This was the only miracle, this, this miracle of healing the, the woman's daughter, this was the only miracle that Jesus wrought while on this journey. It was for the performance of this act that he went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. He wished to relieve the afflicted woman and at the same time to leave an example in his work of mercy towards one of 
toward one of a despised people for the benefit of his disciples when he should no longer be with them. He wished to lead them from their Jewish exclusiveness to be interested in working for others besides their own people. Now let me tell you where what Jesus said was true enough. Jesus did in fact come for the lost tribes of Israel. He came as the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy for Israel to be the redeemer of his people Israel. And he gathered around him disciples. Jesus' primary mission was to Israel. The disciples' primary mission was to the world. Now, Jesus at the same time went ahead and was open to the people of the world. But in order to accomplish his purpose, he had to keep it within the context that his mission made sense, which was within the context of Israel. But once that was over, the disciples were to take the message of Jesus to the world. But they didn't get it yet. And they wouldn't get it for a long time. We go on here. Jesus longed to unfold the deep mysteries of the truth which, he had, which had been hid for ages, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the Jews and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This truth the disciples were slow to learn, and the divine teacher gave them lesson upon lesson. In rewarding the faith of the centurion at Capernaum and in preaching the gospel to the inhabitants of Sychar, he had already given evidence that he did not share the intolerance of the Jews. But the Samaritans had some knowledge of God, and the centurion had shown kindness to Israel. Now Jesus brought the disciples in contact with a heathen, whom they regarded as having no reason above any of her people to expect favor from him. He would give an example of how such a one should be treated. The disciples had thought that he dispensed too freely the gifts of his grace. He would show that his love was not to be circumscribed to a race or a nation. People don't have to become like us to be saved. There's, there's only one way. And it's the same way for all of us. We come to the altar and accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Under the table, we just, we take the crumb. Justin's going to come and, and sing for us. And we're not doing a formal appeal today. Not literally going to ask you to come to the altar. For one thing, we don't really have one. But, but in your heart, Jesus is going to call to your heart. And I think what he wants to tell us today is put down your spiritual pride because it's making a Pharisee of you. In that first story, it's clear enough who the Pharisees are and who the good guys are. The second story, the, the ones that we want to be a part of sitting at the table, they're the oppressors. I don't want to be the oppressors. And if that means under the table with the other dogs, yeah, put me there. Puppies have more fun anyway, right? Put me there. But don't miss this chance today. Come to the altar. Let Jesus come in your heart.
Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen, bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, oh what a Savior. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, come to the altar. 
The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So bear your cross as you wait for the crowd. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Surely the Spirit of the Lord is here and working in our hearts. And all who will come, He will share from the table. And praise God for His grace that is sufficient for all. One of the traditions we have here at this service it's a beautiful thing. At the end, we, we speak the words of the blessing of Aaron. We know what it sounds like the way we usually hear it. But it's just one way to say it. Can you hear the blessing another way? And it still lift you up? O Senhor te abençoe e te guarde. O Senhor faça resplandecer o seu rosto sobre ti e tenha misericórdia de ti. O Senhor sobre ti levante o seu rosto e te dê a paz. Amém. Amém.